Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, hello, everybody. This is Script Shop. My name is Jack. And I'm Allison. This is Allison. So now we uh, we probably need to get this out of the way in the beginning. Yes. We've been releasing... I've got a baby. Oh, man. <laughs> How do you top that, Jack? I wa- you can't. You know, I had this... She's cute. <laughs> I've got a baby. I can't I've got a believe baby. that my, the tire <laughs> of my thought car just rolled over the nail of your baby. I had this whole, I had this whole bit planned out. <laughs> I was oh going to God. talk about how we've been gone for a while and how there's a there a big thing had happened. And well, we've been, we, listen, I'm going to apologize then because I should have told you. I should have told you to play along with me. I know. It's yes. My fault. Yeah. No, it's not your fault. If I was paying attention, I would have seen you had something going. But you know what? I didn't care. Well, That's because the thing. <laughs> so the flip side of this course is I tried to make a bit out of the fact that you've got a baby. It's a thing. It's a big thing. Congratulations. <sighs> Thank She's you. such a sweet girl. Thank you. It's um, such a big deal. Thanks for holding her and cuddling her and being mm-hmm. her Uncle Jack-Jack. Uncle Jack-Jack. And uh, listeners, we this is exactly what Jack was going to say, and now I get to say it, which oh. is that we do, we batch our episodes a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So we record ahead of time, and uh, we've been on a hiatus for a couple of months because I've been out on maternity leave. If you've been listening, you know that this was happening. But now we're back. <laughs> yeah. And I'm back in baby's arms. That's a Patsy Klein song. Yes, it is. How I miss those loving. loving arms. Oh, I love you so much for knowing I'm this. I'm back, back where, where I belong. belong. Back in, in script shops. Arms. Arms. Da, 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 da. Okay. Hi, guys. So, anyway. Welcome to Script Shop. This is our. We're wow. going to get sued now. Oh, man. Well, we can. Patsy Klein passed away a while ago. We're probably okay. Life of the Author Plus. Mm-hmm. Frank, I don't know. You're, get your legalese out of here. We're just doing a show. And just We're just trying fun. to have fun without getting sued, Frank. This is our podcast where we don't get sued, and we talk to screenwriters about the scripts that they've written. Right. And what motivates them to write the things that they have and their, their lives, their passions, their fears. And why they're the only person who could have written this script. We try to figure that out, like mm-hmm. where this came from in them and what it means to them to have done this. So, our guest today is a writer by the name of David Bradburn, who is calling us from Chicago, and he has written a script called Some Years Earlier. It's a 105-page, I call it a forgiveness feature, Mm -hmm. exploring how distance mingles with time and family. There you go. We're going to talk to him in just a few minutes, but before we get to that point, I just want to ask my friend Jack here, what have you been reading lately, Jack Attack? Well, so here's the thing. I am about to get back into something that I've read before that I want to read again because I'm trying to get ready for the next one of these to come out. I don't think I've talked about this before. I might have. There's a series of books called the Gentleman Bastard series about these dudes that are like professional thieves. They've sort of lived this life. It's it's sort of like an Oliver Twist kind of thing, but not as charming or musical in any way. Really? Yeah. They they it's it's a whole different world. It's 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 sort of a fantasy thing. It's not really a YA book by any means, uh-huh. but 
this guy named Locke Lamora is in with this like band of thieves and they they're pulling heists and you know pretending to be other people to steal rich jerks money and all this and they mm-hmm. start to get in over their heads in all sorts of intrigue and whatnot and the first book of the series is called The Lies of Locke Lamora there have been three books that Scott Lynch has written so far <laughs> and we've been waiting Scott I'm Scott I don't mean to yell at you buddy but we've been waiting for a long 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 time <laughs> for book 4 to come out uh-huh. and I understand Scott uh-huh. you're an artist you're a writer things have to motivate you in the proper way and things need to be done just right because this is your work this is your art this is your livelihood I understand that but, but... it's been so long hmm. Since we've had a... And you just can't handle it. It's, it's making me crazy. Why don't you tweet at him or something? No, because that's a jerky thing to do. Is it, though? I feel like it is. It is if you tweet at him and say, OMG, where the F is my book? Well, that's that doesn't sound very polite. But why don't you say, hey, Mr. Lock- Lamora? Scott Lynch. <laughs> I've loved Or tweeting at the character either way. So much. What happens Because next? there's a million people that are doing that, I'm sure. Well, what if, like, you're the one that just tips it? Over. I, I can't imagine that I'm going to be the straw that breaks Scott Lynch's back. Jack, just like have more faith in yourself. Yeah, Maybe it's not, you yeah. are. Whatever. I, here's the thing. I have to just remind myself <laughs> that he obviously, I assume, does want to get another book out there. Right. So when he does, he will. How long has it been since he wrote his last one? It's been one? years. Like 20. No, more than, not that, like not that many. Like four or five. Oh, <laughs> But I tore through all the first three really quick. <laughs> They're easy reads. And I want more. All right. Well, Mr. David Lynch, get it together. Scott Lynch. It's like being at, well, the, it's like being okay. at the buffet and you're waiting for the next thing of roast beef to get brought out and they carve it. But you got to wait for it. And you're just sort of standing there looking at all these other people at the buffet. And like they're all getting food. And I'm just oh, waiting for the, for the yeah. pork shoulder to like come out. Like you're the one, the person in front of you took the last. Yeah. 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 And now yeah. I'm waiting for it to refill. That sucks. It's right. like it's kind. That that's a that's not the best metaphor in the world, but that's that's how I feel. Okay, well I get that. Allison, what are you reading? Okay, so um, okay, I'm actually super proud of this because one mm-hmm. of our sponsors for the Independent Film Festival, oh, playing in Cincinnati, Ohio, August 23rd through 25th, 2018, at the Woodward Theater. The first annual coming up this August. F- yes, um, this guy's name is Doug Hall, mm-hmm. and uh, he runs Eureka Ranch in Newtown, Ohio. And he wrote this book about his adventures to the North Pole. And when he was 40, he just decided that he wanted to go to the North Pole. It was this huge adventure. It terrified him. And he worked his ass off getting in shape for it, Uh trying to figure it out. Was he like swimming or something? No, he he hired a bunch of different trainers. And was working out two times a day, six days a week. Just to survive being on a boat going there? No, they're not on a boat. They What are they doing? They take a plane it drops them off oh, and then they right, right, right. hike up there right because it's not like a cruise where you just go up and no. then come back you're gonna yeah. be there for a bit yes it's sense. the kind of thing where like you jump into your sleeping bag at night and hope you don't freeze yeah yeah so i've been reading his memoir about this trip wow um a lot of it because i'm just interested in knowing about this entrepreneur and how he went about his life and some of the things he thinks about and also because as a sponsor of this independent Film Festival. Shout out. Um, he, you know, it's just neat to know things about the people that you're involved with and the people you're working with. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Especially if they've done such an amazing, made such an amazing accomplishment and then written a book about it. Do you think you would do that? Go to the North Pole? <sighs> no. No, I don't think so. Hard pass. Yeah. Frankie? Frank, what do you think? North Pole or South Pole? Maybe you're a penguin guy. <laughs> uh, I'd go the neither. Neither? Where would mm-hmm. you go if you were going to take a trip? Australia, maybe. Mm. That's good. Would you travel there by land or would you take a plane? 
plane. Duh. Travel by, by land. land. I, well, here's what I was thinking about that. Frank and his wife, Teresa, mm-hmm. would like put backpacks on. They'd walk to the end of the U.S. and then they'd hop on a boat. And just go until they hit the next continent. And then you guys backpack across that continent. Then you get in another boat. <laughs> well, you're having to take the long way. It's more exciting that way. <laughs> okay. Instead of like taking a Xanax and passing out on the plane for 24 hours oh, to Australia. That sounds like it's got some pros. <laughs> there's upsides. There's pros and cons to everything. Uh, so speaking of this independent film festival, tickets are on sale. Oh my God. Yes, they are. For our big festival at the Woodward Theater. Passes are on sale. So if you want a VIP uh, yes. pass... Where you can hang out and uh, have great food and have great drinks with mm-hmm. filmmakers. At the Independent Film Festival, you can get a VIP pass at um, sindependentfilmfest.org. There's a bunch of links there. Come to Cincinnati. Come to yes. this thing that we are doing. It's amazing. And there's a lot of really, really kick-ass people working on this thing. Frank and Jack and myself included. Mm-hmm. And we want to meet you. We want to share with you. We want you to claim your independence and see why Cincinnati is so freaking great. Yes. Please so, do that. Filmmakers, submit. Your closing deadline is July 3rd. Um, community members, buy your tickets now. couple other things we got to get to before we get to David. Yep. We are on Patreon. Yep. If you enjoy the show, if you've been enjoying the show, we're back. You're welcome. Uh, and you can support us financially through that if you feel so inclined. Patreon.com. Search Script Shop Show. Um, so my dad just started listening to the show, uh-huh. which is very flattering. Dad, send us some money. <laughs> One dollar a month. <laughs> It's like when you're making the call in college. Dad. I need money for laundry. Send some money to the show. Thank you so much. Um, also, if you have a screenplay, yes. you can submit it to us on Film Freeway. Um, I don't remember our email address anymore. Uh, well, it's uh, Script Shop Show at Gmail. Frank, help us out so. here. ScriptShopShow.com slash submit. Ah, that's it. it. There's a website da, 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 da. for it. Go to the website if you want to submit your screenplay. We want to read it. Yes, please. And if you love the show, you need to review us. And I say that with a mom tone because I'm a mom now. Oh, and boy. Anything goes. And we want some new reviews. So please get onto iTunes and Facebook and send us a review. Yes. You can ask. You can chastise me in reverse about not. About not what? Being nice about telling you to give us a review. Well, you're like you said, you're a mom now. I know. You, Anything you, there's goes. a whole different set of priorities going on. Uh, so, yes, please submit your stuff to us. Speaking of people who have submitted things to us, we should probably check in with David here, who's been patiently waiting while we go through a have bunch the of, time our of our lives. nonsense here. David, hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing wonderful. Thanks for coming on the show. David Bradburn, who wrote a script called Some Years Earlier. David, yeah. you're calling us from Chicago. The Windy City. The Windy City. Um, so, how long have you lived in Chicago? Well, I'm in Elgin, which is like 30 miles, 35 miles outside of Chicago, and I moved to the city proper in 93. Mm-hmm. So, pretty much my whole life in this area. Yeah, you've been there for a while. Yeah. I was just reading, I think, it, as we're recording this here in uh, early to mid-June, uh, Anthony Bourdain recently has passed away, and in the aftermath of that, I was reading a little bit some of his thoughts about Chicago, talking about how it's a big city without like a lot of neuroses and you aren't really going to make it there if you don't have a good sense of humor and it's such just a great working class city and I thought he just wrote it it was just a little blurb of his that he wrote about that and I thought it was very it seemed very appropriate to me I I think it's fitting we are very uh, we have a blue collar work ethic and you know you work hard and you get where you're going Mm -hmm. that's super cool I like that too what's it like being a are you a full-time writer there in Chicago 
I um, write, produce, and direct, and I also uh, have been teaching for Chicago Public Schools for 20 years. Oh, wow. Holy cow, you're a teacher, too. Yeah, what kind of teaching? Yep. What grade? What subject? So I teach, uh, this year I have sophomore English, and I um, and then I have film production, and that's a junior-senior class. And I've been teaching film production for about 10 years. Wow. I think that's super cool that a, a pu- the public school system has a film production course in it. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Do you find that, like, working in the industry really helps you stay on top of the trends for your students, or, or do you have to, like, be very direct about taking new courses and training yourself. I would say it's the latter. What I found, so in addition to to kind of producing, I have my own production company, but I also do freelance work. So I've got kind of three plates spinning at all times. Yeah. And since I started doing that, what I found is it's really difficult to stay current Mm. because my time is constantly being pushed from one thing to another Mm -hmm. or I'm exhausted. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, coming home and catching up on the latest news and the latest trends and literature and all that stuff is not necessarily the first thing, uh, as soon as I've got time, that I'm going to do. Well, how do you balance it all? What do you do? <laughs> I don't know if I do a very good job at it. Um, fortunately, my principal is great, and she supports what I do, so she's accommodating with that. Um, but it, it, it was a choice I made that I wanted to move more in the direction of doing production work and um, – that's come at a at a cost, and there's yeah. things that I don't get to do uh, in order to do this. Being in Chicago, where it, it's not New York and it's not Los Angeles, uh, how is it keeping up with things and then also still being involved in uh, producing things? Um, well, it, I've fortunately fallen in with a couple of uh, larger companies. One does corporate work, and they fly me all over the country to yeah. produce uh, a lot of like patient videos and um, other product videos. So it's all corporate, mostly internal for whatever company we're working for. Um, and then the other company takes me on to a lot of Fox's EPK stuff here in the city. So that I get on the bigger stuff that way. And then my own stuff just comes through my network. Um, and, um, people I meet and trying to keep a, an active presence in the community, uh, get work that way as well. You know, I always think about our young listeners because I have a lot of younger siblings and mm-hmm. I always like just kind of imagine what their life is like. So, you know, you, you talk about your networks and how your networks have gotten you to this point. And do you have any advice you would give to young people about like how to keep your networks current and keep them strong and keep them so that they eventually get work for you, that the social connections you make turn into actual jobs? Yeah, um, I only in the past year have I got paid work off of cold calls or people reaching out to me cold. Everything else has come word of mouth. So um, one, you know, just being good at what you do mm-hmm. and keeping your, your, you know, don't piss people off and be competent. And eventually you'll start meeting the right people and work will pick up. And it's, it's been slow. I turned professional, uh, I want to say six and a half years ago. So, and I can't support myself in production at this point. Um, teaching still pays the bulk of my bills. So it's it's a slow grind. And working a full-time job, you know, I can't hustle during the day because I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to do all that in the after hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just, you know, keep 
oiling those relationships and reaching out and staying connected with people and support what they're doing. And eventually you'll start, your, your network will start to pay you back. Mm-hmm. Also get, you know, if, 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 so, if a job comes my way, that's not a good fit for me, passing it on to somebody else, constantly trying to get other people work pays off too. Yeah. Now that we're getting into like mid June, you're on summer break. Are you in like full blown hustle <laughs> mode now? We, we go till June 20th. Oh, jeez. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in high school anymore. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Uh, actually, doesn't it sound nice knowing that, like, your work has an end? Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, it doesn't sound like David's work ever does it. No, his, no. But if you're a kid, it's like, oh, middle of June, then I'm done. And then you grow up and you're no. like, this never Yeah, youth is, youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> So do you have, David, do you have like, uh, like trips for productions out of town? Your hustle season's kicking in here in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, actually, uh, so we get done on the 20th, and that night I fly to San Diego. Wow. Um, and I'll be in a casting room Thursday morning, the 21st, uh, casting for a film that I'll be shooting in San Diego in August. Um, and, and the guy who shot most of my films has moved back to San Diego, and so... We're now going to do a production there. We actually have a, a documentary working on there as well. So we're going to kind of piggyback two productions. So I'll be out there for probably 10 to 14 days this summer working on those two things. Mm, miserable. It's got, yeah, right. <laughs> it's got to be great for your students every, every year when the school year starts. If you're coming back from, from a production and stuff, you're that, I mean, that, is that more or less your curriculum? Um, yeah, it, um, to, to a degree, I've, I'm able to take what I've just made and build some um, build some lessons around it and talk about new stuff I'm learning. Um, I also get uh, asked to speak at high school uh, literary festivals, and so I'll take a recent project and, and showcase it there. And um, That's a nice little side gig that I've got going. That's excellent. Um, but it keeps, gives me new content every year to talk about. Yeah. Well, the, you know, that's what I was going to ask is that at this point in your career – or you've, you know, you've got a lot of slow burn and you've been professional for a little bit, at least years. Do you find that you still learn new things? Oh, absolutely. Good. Um, I, I feel as a director, um, often that's the last thing I get to, to address on a shoot, um, especially an independent one, because, you know, you're just trying to get enough stuff together so you can actually make it. And then you, once you get there, you have to you know, cast a vision. And so I'm just getting better at knowing how to put that together mm-hmm. while keeping all the other wheels spinning at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm, I'm improving that. And then producing, you, you know, as your network grows and just the more you do it, the more tricks you learn and the easier it becomes next time. And you've got your, you know, your boilerplate forms all ready to go and you're not like figuring out how to write a release form. You've got it all ready. You just change a few things and print it and go. Right. Well, not to mention how often do you find yourself in a Freedom Writers, Dead Poet Society situation where you end up learning from the students? Um, I mean, that happens some, <laughs> and, and a lot of it happens with them with editing, because I'm not an editor, but we spend a fair amount of time in class working on editing. And so they'll figure something out or they'll have a question and we'll figure it out together. Yeah. But because I'm not editing my own stuff, I'm not learning those tricks as much on my own. So that's really where I get a lot from them. Uh, Going the other way, most of them are really, really coming to film for the first time ever. So they don't know what they're doing at all. Mm. And just 
as ba basic stuff like loading footage onto a computer um, is like they don't even know how to do that. So it's it's more in the editing that I learned stuff from them. Okay. Well, let's talk about this uh, script we have with us today. Some years earlier. Some years earlier. Some years earlier. Some years earlier. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, where were you when you wrote this script? What was your life like then? That's a, <laughs> wow. Um, so I've been working on that script for, it probably took me three years to write it. Um, and I wrote it in and around everything else going on in life. And originally, it was a short story that was about a conversation between two brothers who were going through a really difficult time. And that was sort of um, mirrored off a conversation my brother and I were having. And then I started writing a completely different script. And that script opens up in a football, college football game. And I realized that's just bigger than what I can produce. So I went back to this conversation, this dinner conversation script, and started piecing that together and filling out the whole story, like the backstory of what they're actually talking about. And by the draft you guys have seen, that conversation doesn't even exist anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was trying to write a feature that I could, you know, financially have a possibility of making. And then just um, kind of looking at my own life and ways in which, you know, the, the story is very much about how the past affects the present um, and how to, you know, dealing with that stuff so that the present can have more vitality than it otherwise might. And so I was just looking at ways in which that was true in my life and those in the lives around me. This conversation with your brother that you were talking about, let's rewind. Yeah. I want to know more about this too. Let's just talk about that. <laughs> yeah. What happened? What, like, what is this convo? Oh, so, it, it, you know, we, um, we were both going through a divorce and it was on Christmas Eve and we'd gone out to, um, out to a Brazilian steakhouse. And so it was just a really, it was kind of a, a really tender um, conversation of like, man, things just did not go how we thought they were going to go. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had made mistakes and mistakes were made to us as well. And just like life hadn't gone as planned. And so we were really kind of in this, at the bottom the U-turn part of a transition, you know? Yeah. And um, so the conversation was, was based on that, but I, I had changed the characters and it was really about one who had gone way off the deep end, which wasn't true for either one of us, but this character had gone way off the deep end and was kind of like fighting his way back as if he'd come back from hell and pretty much looked it. And um, he ends up hitting on the waitress and, gets her phone number as sort of like the signal that he's like coming back to life. Mm. Um, but again, that, that whole piece is gone. And, and like the middle draft of this, that piece, that conversation still lived in the story. And at the end, the, the main character dies or he might die. You know, it's unclear. And so it was just, it was a much darker, darker story. And in, in, uh, in like not script world, in what actually happened, what did that conversation what, mean to you? I'm talking script world here. Right. In what actually happened? Is that your question? Yeah. Like, what did it mean to you? Well, I, th I think the conversation really for my brother and I is just a moment of real connection where we were at a low point, but we, you know, we still had family to support us and 
um, could lean on each other in, in, in the middle of our brokenness. Yeah. And that was life-giving. Um, and the script becomes a very fictionalized version of, you know, from, a, from that jumping point, a very fictionalized story. Yeah, because some years earlier, there are strong family ties. There's family, there's a, a wayward brother. Well, see, I was going to say that I feel like if he and his brother sort of were able to take solace in each other and maybe right. find a root in uh, at least familiarity and family, mm-hmm. it, by the time the some years earlier script kicks in, it, the, the, our main character is leaving home and just sort of abandoning the rest of his family to do sort of a coming of age sort of thing. I think that's an interesting yeah. sort of transition. Let's flip through a beat breakdown real quick and oh. give an idea, just an idea of what it's about so that then these themes tie in a little bit more specifically. Yeah, so the script starts out with uh, a family sort of sitting at dinner. Uh, it's all three brothers, I think, right? Yeah. And uh, there, there's, there's hints of family tension. Jacob is the middle brother, and he decides after a little bit of a tense dinner conversation with his parents, he's in his 20s, that he's just going to leave home and hops on a bus and just goes to a small town where he doesn't know anybody and nobody knows him, and he's just going to try to set out on his own. He's very mechanically inclined. He gets a job working at a a dock, a shipping area for like a store, I want to say. And he also then starts repairing cars and starts, I think, against his will to a certain extent, but it happens anyway, starts becoming a part of the community and at least interacting with the people around him. So then it goes back to Jack's point, which is that this was born out of a conversation that brought family together and this script explores how hard it is to leave that or what it means to to kind of run away from that mm-hmm. literally was that a, was that an explicit decision that you made in terms of uh, the message and the tone of it um i, I think I, I think to a degree yeah that um it's looking at like when family isn't there for us in the ways that it's it's supposed to be, or we're told that it's supposed to be, what do you do? And how do you cope with, you know, when the places of origin are the sources of pain? And in, in the case of the story, you know, I had the character leave to kind of find um, himself and, you know, really his attempt to run away from his family. He realizes that whoever he was with his family, he still is the same person wherever he goes. Yeah. And he, wow. He, he, yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, I just think about like the fact that your family is the root, mm-hmm. you know, and you can't, it's, it's, you can't shed that skin a lot of times. And in life you get that. And in stories you get that where a character tries to run away from who they are, but they're always who they are actually. Right. It doesn't change anything from that. And Jacob ends up establishing a family. He doesn't establish it. It's almost as though it gets kind of foisted on him. His boss becomes sort of a mentor, father figure type. He starts to have a romantic relationship with a gal in town and ends up building a life for himself, uh, almost sort of without even trying a little bit. He's not necessarily always taking the most active role in in his life. It seems like Jacob just wants to do his thing and kind of be left alone. Yep. That's pretty accurate about who he is. Is that okay? So, are you Jacob, or or who are you in yeah, how this much, script? How much do you identify with Jacob? Um, I mean, it, you know, again, there's there's some autobiographical jumping off points, but highly fictionalized. You know, I took I took an auto class in college, but if my car died on the side of the road at this <laughs> point, I, I wouldn't be able to fix it. Yeah. Right. So, 
and I didn't, you know, I live 30 miles from my parents and have for the last 47 years. So I really didn't get all that far away. Um, so I, I think there's some hints of autobiography, but largely it's, I took the situation that I wanted him to get to and where he was starting from and figured out what happened in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Um, which goes back to that conversation that of the, the scene that doesn't exist anymore of, you know, I was looked at that and like, what happens in between? What are they really talking about? What went on in their past to get them to this point? Um, and that's where the script came from. Mm-hmm. Feel like maybe we want to do a little, do a little, a little reading. reading. We haven't done this in sure. a while. Oh, acting my favorite thing in yeah. the whole world. Yeah, we're back. Besides kissing a cute little baby. Obviously. Okay, so, um, David, we're going to pot you down for just a little bit. We're going to go through a scene from some years earlier. And in this reading of it, Jack is going to play the main character, Jacob. Hi. And I will be playing the romantic interest, Christy. Yeah, this is going to be scene 38. This is, uh, Christy is a girl that he develops a relationship with. She works at a sort of a local bar and restaurant in town. And uh, the two of them start to hit it off. Yeah. And uh, we've got Frank here in the studio who's going to do all of our stage directions, et cetera. So, Frank, you feeling great? I'm feeling awesome. Okay. Okay. And Jack Attack, feeling good? Yeah, I feel good. David, we're going to read a little bit of your script some years earlier. Scene 38. Exterior. Small town streets. Continuous. Jacob and Christy ride bikes. Jacob's milk crate has bags of food and drinks in it. They sit and eat. Park noises fill the air at the park. So. Jacob looks up chewing. So how did you end up here? Far as the bus would take me and still have money to start out on. You? Uh, yeah. So let's start with the fun stuff. Or not. No, it's okay. I left after my dad died. We don't have to talk about this. No, like I said, it's okay. We were close. Not so much with my mom. At all. So I came here to stay with a college friend. How's that going? It's not college, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't know. I'm here for now. This is bigger than where I'm from, but not so big I'm lost. Yet. <laughs> so is there a plan of some sort? Kinda, I guess. Uh, yeah. Maybe not enough of one yet. What about you? Like I said, this was as far as I could get. (laughs) What do you mean? Oh, it was all the money I had and would still have a bit left over. What? Huh? What are you talking about? All the money you had? Oh, yeah. I ended up here because this was as far as I could get on the bus and still have some money left to last a few days. Mm, Dude, that's ballsy. That was necessary. You have a plan? Oh, this is as far as I've gotten. So why did you leave? I just kind of needed to. Was there a reason? Jacob looks at the time. I need to get changed for work. He smirks as he gets up. So there's a story there. Not today there's not. I'm going to sit here for a while. Okay, see you soon. <laughs> sure. There's our scene. David, welcome back. What an avoider. He, he's, he's really purposely avoiding having any kind of connection with this girl. He is. Why? Why does he do that to this pretty girl? He's very much vested in the fear of being known. So if you look at at the opening scene where his dad says, I never should have turned around. Mm. um, Which is what sort of touches everything off. Where his, like, 
anytime someone shows any sort of affinity towards him, his family kind of attacks that. Mm. Um, and then you, the, the night that Christy comes back to his house, you get the, the big flashback of what his dad is referring to about when he never should have turned around, which was kicking him out of the house as a little kid. Mm. Um, and so he's that fear of, of rejection, of abandonment, of exile is what drives him for most of the script and most of the story. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting twist that when Dad says, I never should have turned the car around, when you're reading it in the very beginning and you don't really, apropos of nothing, you're hearing these, this family talk and it's a tense discussion, it almost seems like a phrase like that is the sort of thing that a dad would say if it's almost an apology and then the kid leaves anyway and then you find out that he turned the car around to bring Jacob back as a youth and it's more like him saying, I never should have brought you back here. That's a Like I never loved you anyway. Yeah, that's a very yeah. specifically right, right. cruel twist. Of that. Yeah. Yeah. There is a there's there's a bit of a theme in the script of Jacob getting in trouble for things that other people do. It comes up a few times, uh, and I think that would also fuel why maybe he doesn't want to interact with people because if he's already getting in trouble for things he does that he doesn't do, yeah, then why what do happens anything? if he? Yeah, right, right, right. Well, you know, how many times do we not apply ourselves in the thing that's most important because if we apply ourselves and fail, it's that much more devastating than if we never tried. Well, true. Oh, man. Well, yeah. that, now now we're getting into the tis better to have loved and lost, right? Right. Well, he would, he would probably, Jacob would probably say um, it's better never to have loved. Okay. Because then you wouldn't have lost. Ooh, question. I have a huge question. Sure. Why would you write a script about a character that doesn't try anything then? You know, well, right, right. So you got you got to keep him engaged, right, and keep because he doesn't like people are people are seeing him before he sees himself, mm. and so the the payoff in the script comes at the end when he does try, when he does, when he can engage himself, when he decides to return to his family, and, and at that point we don't need to know what he's going to say, yeah, because it doesn't matter how they respond because he has the self confidence at this point, yeah, yeah. Exactly. He's he's coming to his own. So if he goes back to his family and they're like, you know, how could you do this to us? To the, do this to us? You're an awful person. Blah blah blah. He can be like, I did what I had to do and move on with his life. Or he can reengage if they're capable of doing that. That's it's you know he is now in a place where he's on a healing journey as opposed to being on a hiding journey, which mm-hmm. is certainly what he's doing at the beginning. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a line in there too. Uh, Mr. Roberts at one point says a line about sometimes we have to live close to the lions to get what we want, and that's a phrase that it, it's almost presented like it's a like a, a phrase that we should all know. But I got to be honest, that's a phrase that I've never heard before. Can we? Wh- where does that come from for you? What does that line mean to you? Um, so, someone had said it to a friend of mine who then said it to me that sometimes you have to stick your face or your head in the lion's mouth to get licked. Oh. Meaning that sometimes you have to go to the dangerous place to get the thing that gives us comfort, mm. um, you know, and cats, the, the, when an animal licks you, that's a sign of affection, but you're also near the, the teeth, the things that can actually hurt you. So you have to take the risk to get the reward. Okay. So then again, in a broader sense, the script is about somebody or a lot of people supporting somebody who has been hurt and is healing. Would you agree with that? I would. 
And then if we take this back to this conversation with your brother, where you found kind of reconciliation with somebody who empathized with you, who got you, and then kind of could support you through your own drastic choices. And then support each other, really, because you're both going through the same thing. So I could see how that could be born on that. I think, you know, the the script about the dinner conversation was fictionalized in that one of the brothers had, had gone, like, was coming back from hell that that's not true for for my brother and i mm-hmm. um but it was it was mutual support we could we were supporting each other and we were going through something similar so that was meaningful um and i lost your question yeah no it's okay it no, was just talking about the metaphor i'm just trying to find the metaphor here for like what actually happened in your life to what happened in the script which is that somebody going through something very hard found a support system that gave them the confidence to be who they are at the end of the script. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that certainly my experience as an adult was the, the, you know, we talk, we talked earlier about network. I think my personal network, the stronger that became, the stronger I became. Yeah. And so as, as I got developed friendships that were more mature and more challenged, challenging in, in the positive sense, not challenging and like difficult people, but that could challenge me and, and help me grow and we help e- would help each other grow, then I, be- I became more of a person. And yeah. I think that's part of what I was looking at in Jacob is the importance of um, community. And I, I wrote this small town to be this idyllic place where it's diverse in every way and supportive. Um, and that's not always how we see small town America, but I, I also know that he needed a place that wasn't going to be huge where he'd get lost but small enough that would take him in, but still be able to see him. Yeah, and be supported, too. I mean, you, the the people that he meets in this town who he's basically a drifter rolling into this small town where presumably most everybody knows everybody else, he comes in and, he, I mean, people right away are doing very, very polite things for him. He meets the, the woman who suggests the job to him, just the most base-level connections that he's making when he's meeting these people. Some of that is just, you know, we've got to get the story moving. Mm-hmm. Um but also just kind of setting the tone for what the town is, of, of who these people are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have this fascination with small-town America, and I've, I've never lived in small-town America, but I certainly have a lot of family that has. Um, and, you know, there's, there's the community support, but then there's also the nosiness, right? We, yeah. We've got both of the, those are just opposite sides of the same coin. Um, and so I was trying to, to take that and make it a little more idealized. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Christy and Jacob relationship. Oh, yeah. Is there some kind of inspiration for how you wrote that romantic interest for the script? Um, I mean, there's no person that she's based on, if that's what you're asking. Um, I, I don't have a good answer to that question. I've, I've struggled with her. I, I think in some ways she's kind of flat and we don't really get a lot of her story. Um, and I try to give some hints of, at who she is. Um, but writing, I mean, at some point this was 130 pages. So, um, and there still wasn't a lot of her story in there. Yeah. So I was looking for somebody who would be attracted to him and his brokenness and his wholeness. Because sometimes we find people that are just attracted to the things about us that suck or the things about us that are great and they have no space for the other. Yeah. Right. And so I was trying to build a character that could accept him for when he's at his low points and when he's finally healing and 
becoming more of an adult. Yeah, and she's very patient with him. Right. I get that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think a lot of people in the story are are patient with him, yeah. um, and she's no exception. Yeah. I don't want to read too much into the character per se, but it, the way you wrote it, and because he is, let me just lay out where I'm going to go with this question. Because he is, he, he he's he's run away from home, he's in this new town, he's very quiet, uh, he's very mechanically inclined. When you were writing this character of Jacob, was it your intent to maybe suggest that he might be somewhere on like an autism sort of spectrum? No, um, but it, that's not the first time. I've thought that or others have suggested it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that where, where that plays less is if we're able to film it, then uh, that's in developing the character with the actor of how to make him more introverted, less on the spectrum. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like that could be sort of a fine line and that, that would be a big difference between going from script to an actual production. And you said this is something that you do want to produce. I, yeah, we'd like to make it. So what are your plans for production on this so far? Well, we've, um, we've got a aligned budget. We've started to submit for grants. I just hired a person who's helping to put together a marketing plan. Uh, but we, you know, it, the budget's lined at $260,000. Yeah. So it's not, this isn't a small indie, two people in a coffee shop script. No. Right. I want to, you know, invest a little bit in and see if we can make it happen. And it, you know, it might and it might not. That remains to be seen. Uh, but I want to at least try to make it. And we, you know, we made a proof of concept a few years ago uh, just to give people a flavor of what it would be like uh, if we were able to make it. One of the things I like asking people who have written something, who have also produced things or have some sort of experience in producing is how much of your knowledge of what it would take to make a script like this is influencing the way you write it. Are you holding certain things back? Are you playing up other things more? Um, with this one, I I knew that it would be smaller than some other ideas I had, but no, I I kind of let things, let the story tell itself and then you know, figure it out from production out from there. Other scripts, I very much know like, Hey, I've got this much money and I want to do something in this genre or with these few actors. Um, you know, how can I do it? Like the, the film we're doing in San Diego, I knew how much money I had. I know, know that gets us one day of filming and I still have to fly myself to and from San Diego. What can I tell under those parameters? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I wrote the script to fit that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the nice thing with this, with all the flashbacks and everything going from Jacob in his 20s to maybe Jacob as a kid, you got a, a bit of a stable of kids that you're interacting with on a fairly regular basis. That could help with casting, right? Sure, sure, yeah. And Chicago has no shortage of talented actors. So um, pull from that pool, too. Yeah. So with something that you're budgeting out to be $260,000 for production, what do you want to do with that? Let's say you make it. What happens after that? I mean, I'll, you know, we all want a four wallet, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all filmmakers dream is to get theatrical release. Um, so we try to get that, but at the same time trying to get, um, you know, VOD release along those lines, uh, submitting it to festivals, um, you know, and, and as I get into more festivals with my shorts, that only, opens more and more of those doors for, you know, the next, the bigger things that I do coming down, down the line. And then ultimately it's about the next project and 
getting enough resources and recognition that you can go make your next movie. Well, this, I mean, this really ties into something that I believe that like doing short films and traveling on an indie film circuit helps you build a portfolio of your work and continue to meet people through your work. Mm -hmm. Do you find, David, that that's kind of your end game with making a lot of shorts is just continuing to expand the resource pool that you have as a, as a long-term filmmaker? Yeah, I think, um, you know, how building, building my network, building my audience, uh, the name recognition, the brand, all that stuff I think is uh, important. It also lets me make a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then getting in festivals gets it in front of people. And so if I can do a movie or two a year, then I'm scratching that itch. Because um, if I were waiting until I had enough money to make a feature, that's the way I'd want to make it, then I might not make a movie for five or 10 years. Right. Like that's just the reality. So even though I would like to shoot this next summer, if not, I know I've got a strip that I'm working on that'll be ready to go. That's a short. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it is just get, getting exercising my own need to create. Well, so if you're planning on shooting this next summer and people are going to be listening to this uh, show in the very not-too-distant future, the way we've got things planned right now, uh, <laughs> yeah. if somebody hears this and they've, and they've read the script on scriptshopshow.com slash scripts and they want to get a hold of you and, and uh, perhaps uh, get with you on this, what are, what are some of the best ways for people to get a hold of you? Uh, if you go to my website at www.forksthemann.com, that's F-O-R-K-T-H-E-M-A-N, um, you can get my email, phone number, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff, all the social media sites that we're on. You can get to me that way. Can we just um, talk about that name for a way. second? <laughs> yeah. Jack and Frank and I just all started like making laughing eyes. Fork the man. Other. Fork the man. I always like That's it right. when people have like very uh, obviously personal production <laughs> company sort of names. What, what What's Fork the Man about? So, um, I mean, obviously it's a play on the other four-letter F word, mm. um, that I didn't think I'd be able to get Oop. professional work <laughs> using that, <laughs> that moniker. Um, but really, like, if, if you look at our logo, it's a, it's a big hand and a big fork with a little stick figure man. Um, <laughs> and it's really, you know, a lot of with the themes of the script, it's about having the tools to overcome your own problems. And, and we always look at the man as being that metaphor for whatever's standing in our way. Um, and if we start to take action then we can overcome whatever is in, in front of us. Wow, which sort of fits into some of the themes of the script, too. Absolutely. Man, it's all coming together here on Script Shop. The magic of Script Shop. <laughs> We're finding metaphors all over the place. <laughs> uh, well, listen, David, I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk to us about your work. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we loved it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, David. Appreciate it. That was uh that was David Bradburn with some, some years, years earlier. Earlier, I do love those like um you know flashbacks are always kind of special because mm-hmm. there's just something about the writer in those about their childhood that's yeah. like coming up through the surface. And of course, we didn't really get to talk to him about what his family relationship was like, other than the fact that he says he talks to his parents all the time. Right, he's lived close to them for forty seven years, but there's just that nostalgia. This very 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 special with people mm-hmm. you know well there's there can always be an interesting payoff in movies that have flashbacks in them of you know there's parts of the story that you haven't told yet and as the script is playing itself out then when it does flash back to sort of a key moment at the climax there there can be that moment of like oh Revelation. now it all makes sense uh, yeah which was kind of what i went through with the with the comment that dad has in the opening scene uh, saying i never should have turned the car around right to me that sounds like an apology right 
but then come to find out it's not, well, and he's being mean. That's saying a lot about like your good heart well, that you read that and you were like, oh, okay, he's apologizing. Because when I read it, I really thought he was being a a four letter D word, mm, you know, a D hole mm, about it or something. A door. A, do- <laughs> a, f- a forking door. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like that. It's that's nasty. And yeah. No fun. So. Anyway, interesting to explore that with the writer here on Script Shop. Yeah, for sure. So if you've written uh, something that is influenced by your youth, uh, family, upbringing, or if you've lived a life that is not like that and you've written something that's completely on the other side of it. Unicorns, Skittles, we got boats. A, we have a lot of options here. Then you should submit that script to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. And we are also on filmfreeway.com. Yep. You can look us up on there and submit to us that way. Yep, and we'd love to read your work. We are online in addition to those two websites, scriptshopshow.com and on Film Freeway. Uh, we are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. Allison is at... Your Bestie Westie, and Jack is... At Script Shop Jack. Uh, you can interact with us that way. And like we said earlier, too, uh, whether it's through iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or anything like that... Leave us a review. Please do that. That helps us try to get the word out. If you like the show, uh, that'd be cool. And... Uh, until next time, friends. We get everything. This is this is big moment right here. <gasps> and everything's in it. Frank, yep. did we, yep, did we hit it? all? Did we check yeah, all the boxes? I believe so. Okay. Frank, we got the thumbs up from Frank. Until next time, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by BenSound.com. Outro music by Purple-Planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for